You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 264. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Sklar. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. You've reached another Local Maximum. This is going to be a really, really interesting, really fascinating discussion today. I think it was a, a, a very fruitful conversation even though, as, as, as you'll see, I brought on someone who I have some disagreements with uh, when it comes to the state of, of social media and regulation and all that. But we're going to answer a lot of tough questions today. First of all, why are there calls for TikTok to be banned? What is TikTok anyway? Why, why, why the controversy around TikTok and not anywhere else? We're going to get into that. Should we in the U.S. ban TikTok or at least ensure that it is sold to an American-run subsidiary? And what about the state of, uh, of internet media and, and social media in the U.S. overall? How much of a free exchange of ideas is it? And should we be worried about um, you know someone having their fingers on the scale? Well, we're going to hash all these out today because my next guest is the founder and CEO of Chamber of Progress, a new center-left industry policy coalition promoting technology's progressive future. So we now take you to D.C. Adam Kavakovich, you've reached the local maximum. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. All right. So uh, before we get to the main topic of the day, which is uh, TikTok, which is uh, why you reached out to me to, to begin with, um, I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about your organization. Uh, how did you get involved with it? Um, and uh, how did this issue of TikTok uh, wind up on your radar? Sure. Well, I started the organization about two years ago, really an attempt to shape the conversation that democratic policymakers are having about technology and regulation. I think that uh, for a long time, Democrats viewed tech as kind of their industry. You know, Republicans had Wall Street and the energy industry and Democrats had tech. And I think some Democrats took a more negative turn uh, towards tech really after Trump was elected. But everything I've seen has shown that Democratic voters continue to be very positive towards tech. And so it struck me that I th that you had uh, a situation where, uh, again, many Democratic policymakers were, I think, assuming that their own voters were much more critical or worried about tech uh, than they are. And I wanted to kind of close that gap. So so we really work at the intersection, the intersection of Democratic politics and, and tech policy, which is kind of where I've spent most of my career. All right. Uh, so and so when did uh, when when did you start this? Is this called? I'm sorry. What's the organization called? Shoot, I have it. Chamber on my of list. Progress. Uh, Chamber of Progress. Right. So when when yeah. was it started? In in uh, in early 2021. So almost two years ago. Oh, OK. OK. So somewhat recently, somewhat recently. Yeah. Interesting. OK. So, um, yeah. Um, uh, so so how did the issue of TikTok uh, uh, come up? What, why is this uh, important right now? Well, I think for me, um, you know, when I started the organization, we I made a decision that we were not going to have any uh, Chinese companies among our partner companies um, for a couple of reasons. One, I, I wanted the freedom to be sort of proudly patriotic and even a bit nationalistic about American tech. And secondly, I was concerned that, you know, when you have um, sort of those kind of entanglements, you sometimes feel pressure not to speak up about what's happening in China. Um, and, you know, so, so we've had that rule for a while. And, and frankly, I think it was um, the writing earlier this year by folks like Ezra Klein, the New York Times and Matt Iglesias uh, on Substack about about their concern that really, I think, uh, energized me as well, 
particularly the concern about, you know, we now have one of our most, certainly the the most growing in popularity social network in this country uh, owned and operated by the Chinese. In some ways, you know, one of our most important um, national security uh, rivals. And that's really an unprecedented situation, uh, one that I, I think is um, really important for us to take seriously. And so it, it was just growing, growing as a concern of mine. So what's the difference, would you say, between TikTok and other social media like, you know, uh, Instagram or or Twitter, although I'm thinking mostly Instagram, where, you know, you have short videos and things like that, that, that people like, you know, and TikTok maybe has some different features. But what do you see as like the, what do you see as the selling point for TikTok, the reason why people are downloading it now? And yeah. why do you think, uh, you know, what would you say to people who say, well, what, I have all these other apps, what's the big deal? All credit to TikTok, right? They've built an amazing app. It's incredibly popular. It's offering people something totally different. It's um, I hate I hate to use the word addictive because that implies kind of more than I, I think it really should be. But it's an appealing app. It's where it's a place where people want to spend time, and I I think that's great. I think that's awesome. Um, the big difference is that it's owned by the Chinese, and none of these other services are owned by the Chinese. And I think when you have any kind of service that deals in information. That's really important because um, of, again, the sort of a propaganda concern and a security concern. Um, you know, we just I, I people may not be super familiar with it, but, you know, the Russian governments for years sponsored a te television network called RT, which used to you know stand for Russia Today. And we used to allow this on American television on cable systems when Russia invaded Ukraine earlier this year effectively rt in the united states was shut down within a couple of days because they faced um the cable systems that carried it faced all this pressure carrying it same thing in europe and i think we look i look back on that situation and i think man that was kind of weird that we allowed the russian government to operate a propaganda network in this country for as long as we did and i and i just have to kind of wonder if we won't look back at the TikTok situation someday and, and ask the same question so what when you say that TikTok is owned by the Chinese, is it a private company in China, or and what kind of um, what kind of control or, uh, or or influence does the Chinese government have over it? Like, how does that work? Yeah, well, you have to understand that it's a private company within China, but there's really the what it means to be a private company in China is completely different from the way we understand a private company, which is to say that you know in order to operate in China. You have to uh, really be, you know, entangled with the government, right? Um, you know, they can essentially shut you down at any time, and they also have to really have guaranteed access to your data, right? And so they don't have in in this country in America. If the Justice Department wants somebody's data from their iPhone, they have to come with a judicial warrant, and. Uh, and serve that on on Apple or Google for somebody's you know Gmail contents, and there we have a we have a judicial process, right? And one of the things that's interesting is that all of the companies disclose uh, in numbers how many of those requests they get from the American from the from the American government. China doesn't have a front door like that. They have a back door. They have a they have a stake, right? So they have a national intelligence law that's broadly. Um, worded to require that any organizations, including companies, participate in domestic intelligence activities, right? So like every company is conscripted in this, right? 
And so that's why I think like there, it doesn't this this distinction like private company public it just does, doesn't matter in China. So if I download TikTok, what kind of messages am I going to get from the Chinese government? I mean, isn't it mostly just fun videos? Like what like what am I going to see there? Yeah. I don't think it's the kind of thing where like so with Russia today it was almost a kind of you know, kind of a, almost um cartoonish attempt at propaganda which is, you know, yeah, they would do kind of pro-Russia messages, but a, a main thing that Russia today was trying to do was highlight division in the United in the US society, right? With when it comes to TikTok, what I don't we I want to be clear, we have we don't see evidence that that the Chinese government is like overtly injecting pro Chinese messages into people's feeds. Um, but there I think are two concerns. One is is that they do have access to all user data. Um, and I think that's undeniably true. And secondly, that they can influence what TikTok's content policies are. So they can influence maybe which videos get promoted, which videos don't get promoted. If you were to um, you know, uh, film a video criticizing China, China's human rights record, um, pretty sure that that would not get promoted um, by TikTok's algorithm, right? And so even if it you know, was really salient to what you were interested in. So, sure. so that kind of thing, I think, is the concern that, that many people have about TikTok. Yeah, I mean, even... Even the, the the app I used to work on ten years ago, Foursquare, when you know w- wouldn't be allowed in China, even though it was a very apolitical app. But you know, people would check yeah. into Tiananmen well, Square. Well, and that's the thing they don't. They, well, yeah. Well, I, I, this you raise a good point, which is that I think you know there's also an interesting argument. This is not this is not my primary, but but I mean, basically China has shut off has, has foreclosed access to its own market to U.S. companies. Right? Google cannot op- operate in China. Facebook cannot operate in China. Um, you know, Amazon has a hard time. So, so, you know, they foreclose the market and yet, um, want access to our market. So like, there is an argument that I've heard some people made just on, on pure fairness, that it's uh, unfair of us to give them access to our market when they deny us, our company's access to their market. So what's the solution to this? I mean, does, does Congress want to ban it? Are there any alternatives to banning it? What are people talking about here? Well, over the last um, couple months, you've seen more action taken to ban TikTok on government-owned devices. So um, at the end of the year, sort of the big year-end legislation that passed Congress included a provision that bans TikTok on federal government employee websites or uh, devices, rather. Um, You've also seen a a number of state governments – Sometimes through their state legislature, sometimes the governor's done this unilaterally, um, issue similar orders for the state, for state government devices and employees, mostly Republican states, but increasingly Democratic states as well. And so you're seeing that. Uh, some of that has trickled down to state universities, um, you know, might be banning students from accessing TikTok on state university Wi-Fi. You know, they can they can evade that pretty easily by going through their mobile data plan. So I don't think that's a big deal. I don't actually think the bans. I think the bans are an interesting indicator of political concern, but I don't think that the, by themselves the current government bans are that significant. And I also don't think that the federal government will ultimately end up banning TikTok. Um, but I do think there is a path there to do what they've done in other situations, which is insist 
that the company be sold, divested uh, to a U.S. owner, which I think would address many of the concerns. Hmm. So, so would that be your preferred outcome? I, I think it's, I think it's, yes, I do think it's the, 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 the smartest path. Again, in some ways it's the easiest path. And frankly, it's the path with the most precedent. Um, so this is not very well known, but, um, about three years ago, or I guess four years ago now, maybe even five years ago, um, the app grinder, uh, was sold to a Chinese holding company. And when that deal happened, that had to go through review through what's called the CFIUS process. It's the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States. It's a cross-government agency um, working group that looks at these questions about foreign investment in, in United States companies and determines if there's a national security risk or some other risk and, and gets a chance to veto them. And the concern that was raised at the time was that um, Grindr as a gay a dating app had a lot of sensitive data on Americans on their sexual orientation, uh, on their HIV status. That could include um, prominent uh, policymakers, politicians, uh, business people, maybe who not might not be um, out of the closet. And that that could give the Chinese government um, basically blackmail material. Um, and so CFIUS in that situation, pretty quietly actually, insisted that the Chinese company that had taken ownership of of grinder sell grinder to a u.s company again they did this very quietly there was no press conference and about a year later in in i think march or april of 2020 it was announced that grinder had been sold to a u.s company and so you know this is typically the way CFIUS works it's really a kind of a behind the scenes kind of quiet um, diplomatic negotiation and so I do think there's a precedent there, and um, uh, and many of the same concerns would I think also be true in the in the TikTok case. Yeah, um, it's uh, when I hear you talk about the case against TikTok, it's hard for me not to make a kind of analogy to what American companies are also doing to us. I mean, you know, injecting propaganda, deciding who can speak, who can't speak, you know, gathering our data in all sorts of unknown ways. You know, I, I mean, I suppose from the U.S. government's perspective, I mean, like, they're like, well, we're in control of that. But ha but it seems like that even if you want to say having that in control of the Chinese government and worse, it still seems like that's a bad thing. Yeah, I'm not one on drawing an equivalence between the United States and the Chinese government. <laughs> I think they're they're pretty bad, right? We have due process in this country. We have, um, you know, rights under the First Amendment, under the Fourth Amendment. We require government to go through process, right? We have jury trials. Like we have, we have a lot of process. Uh, we have a lot more rights in this country. The Chinese government, in contrast, has made people just disappear. Right. And so, you know, I think that it, it's really not uh, we're not dealing with some kind of, you know, um, cute, cuddly, <laughs> innocent country here. Right. Um, you know, th they have an extremely uh, authoritarian regime. And so I do think it's you know, it's it's just dangerous, in my view, to compare the two regime, you know, the U.S. to China when we have so many more freedoms and due process protections in this country. I I totally agree with you about China, but I still see the fact that, like, you know, 
the FBI, for example, is telling companies what to show and what not. And also like private actors, like, you know, uh, uh, pharmaceutical industries are telling our, uh, uh, our, our social media, whether it's Facebook, uh, uh, Twitter, YouTube, uh, what they uh, can and can't post. And over the last few years, you know, it's been pointed out that a lot of people have been banned for saying things that are true, or even if it's not true, like totally should be fair game in, in, in a democratic society. And that concerns me a lot. I mean, I, I have a much higher bar for the U.S. than I do for, for China. I don't want to live under the, the Chinese regime, but I feel like... Yeah, uh, again, the distinction, the distinction I would make is that, you know... Twitter banning somebody who is engaging in, um, you know, election denialism, that's Twitter's decision, right? That's not a government action. And Twitter actually has their own First Amendment right to allow uh, or disallow people on their platform. Parler has a First Amendment right to allow people to traffic in election denialism. And even if the Biden administration doesn't like it. So you we have a First Amendment in this country, which allows platforms here to make their own decisions about what to allow and disallow. And without any threat of um, the government, the government can't shut any of these services down because of one of their pl uh, decisions. That's just not true in China. Right. You cannot operate in China um, and without staying on the right side of the government. And so, yeah, you have situations here where the FBI, you know, I think there were some Twitter file stories um, says to Twitter, well, you might want to take a look at these accounts. They might violate your terms of service. Okay. Some, I understand some people's concern about that. But on the other hand, if Twitter... I mean, Mark, Mark sure Zuckerberg said that the FBI yeah. told them to, to do this and that. And it's hard to say no to the FBI, you know, when... Uh, yeah, but the, I, 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 it is, but they do, I guess is what I would say. So, so yeah, sometimes they would say yes. Sometimes they would say no. I agree. It puts them in a difficult position. Um, but you know, there's a lot of situations where, you know, the FBI has come to Apple and said, give us all this data and they don't have a warrant and Apple's told them to pound sand. Right. So every company I think also pushes back on requests that aren't grounded in some kind of, um, warrant or, or, or legitimacy. And right. again, like all those things exist in the United States and they just don't exist in the, the Chinese system. Gotcha. So uh, what, what do you think about like the right to access information? I guess this applies to RT too. I mean, you know, um, as an American, shouldn't I have the right to view whatever content I want to view? If I want to see foreign propaganda, maybe I'm not even looking at it for the purpose of, uh, of, of uh, you know, joining them, but for the purpose to look at what they're saying. Um, shouldn't that be yeah. available? Yeah, and frankly, I think if you want to find propaganda, like you're not gonna, it's not gonna be too difficult to find it, right? Like I think, you know, we have a pretty big, vast internet, and uh, I don't think it's gonna be difficult to find find that. Um, the real question, I think, in this case of Cepheus is really, um, you know, this is this is the kind of case that this was set up for, which is to say, we recognize that for our own national security, there are going to be um, certain services that where the government might have a, a really a kind of a, a, a smart, compelling interest. I'll give you another example. Um, several years ago, the Federal Communications Commission basically decreed that Huawei, the Chinese um, uh, networking network provider uh, company, was a national security threat because they had seen evidence that Huawei routers and network switches that were you know being put, installed in America were being used essentially to spy on Americans, right, for the Chinese government. And um, 
And over the course of the last couple of years, but the FCC has essentially told telecoms, telecom companies in this country, you can't do business with Huawei, right? And so, like, is that a violation of their rights? I mean, I, I, I guess you could argue that, but I think the FCC and the national security agencies also their job is to protect our national security and and you know to say, well, no, don't use this Chinese telecom company because they're spying on Americans. I'm personally okay with that. What do you think about uh, these um, admittedly emerging and, and maybe not all ready for prime time, but, you know, uncensorable social networks, whether it's um, crypto, Bitcoin for, for payments that are that are uncensorable or uh, in the case of um, in the case of library who I spoke to, but they, they were kind of uh, beaten down by the SEC. But, it, but the service is still there on Odyssey where you can get any video you want, really. I mean, within reason. Yeah. Um, and so. Uh, these services are um, available. Uh, presumably, it's all, it would also be hard to censor them in authoritarian countries as well. Um, would you be concerned about it? Would you welcome that? How, how would you uh, think about these technologies? And it, again, I know it's it's unclear how these things are going to develop over the next few years. But yeah, I think it's um, it, it's a great question because, I mean, I think, for example, there's folks like Jack Dorsey who would say that like decentralized protocols and you see some of this with Mastodon, for example, Mastodon is based on, you know, individual instances, each with their own content policies. Right. Um, decentralized. I think that's, that's a little bit different in that there are, you know, it, each instance owner and in Mastodon does, is responsible for having its own policies and enforcing them. So there's not there's not no one. You know, I think there's probably going to be a market for that. On the other hand, I think that, um, you know, what often happens with some of these things is that the first time somebody uses that for some kind of illicit, say, criminal activity, the government's going to come and say, who do I talk to? Right. Who? Where do I go? Where do I send my warrant? And um, and I think, you know, to have completely warrant um free communications or you know communications beyond the law like there's always a robust debate about encryption for example and and you know keeping encryption uh communications protected but i think that there is going to be a place for that having said that i think the vast 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 majority of users of social networks want a centralized content moderation there's an argument that when you go into a social network that content moderation is essentially their main product, right? Which is to say, no one wants the unfiltered raw feed. You want it prioritized somehow. You want it made relevant for you, but you also want the gross garbage stuff, you know, filtered out. At least most people do, right? So um, there's a reason that Instagram is a much bigger, more successful business than Parler, right? <laughs> Which allows everything. Instagram is a very curated, moderated social network parlor is intentionally not but you know instagram's a much bigger more successful business with you know a lot more users so i could i could see the the argument for centralized content moderation when it's like something we kind of all agree on uh, a good example is just email like I, I i think that um i don't know what percent of my email gets uh gets blocked by by google but uh I'm pretty sure all of that stuff is stuff everyone agrees that that I don't really need in my feed. But there's, in especially in in recent years, there's a whole lot of stuff where people just don't agree. And and if that's the case, like it seems like 
content moderation should not be uh, centralized into like three major players that all kind of collude with each other. Yeah, again, I think what you're in, you're describing is an argument that many people have made that social networking should move more towards like a protocols-based uh, approach, which, again, Mastodon is sort of one of the interesting exper- experiments there. Again, Jack Dorsey, before he left Twitter, talked a lot about this. They had a project called, um, I think it was Blue Sky, uh, yeah, that, yeah. Was, that was trying to do that. And I do think it's very interesting. And I think that... You know, people talk about middle, there's a number of experts talk about middleware. Maybe we have some kind of middle layer that says, okay, well, I'm, you know, I want the Disney approach to content moderation, right? (laughs) Which is like, you know, nothing but uh, family friendly. Or I want the R-rated version where like, I don't want, you know, pornography and stuff like that, but I'm okay with like some, a little edgier. So I think that is, that is definitely very interesting. In the meantime, I actually think if we effectively have that, to be perfectly honest, because essentially if you look at youtube facebook instagram twitter and then look at you know parlor truth social and then look at 4chan you essentially have a spectrum of moderation already right which is that you know from 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 the highly moderated to the highly unmoderated and you know they're already attracting um you know different audiences so i i think that we kind of have that in some ways yeah, you you have it emerging. I mean, it's it's definitely a lot different than it was like like three years ago. Um, but I I don't see how someone can look at like you know everything that's happened since COVID, for example, and just be like, oh yeah, uh, you know, like uh, there was no impropriety with, with uh, how people were, were were censored. Like, I mean, I, I don't want to go through yeah. the whole list. No, no, but, no. I think uh, I mean, I I I I look. I think that um, I guess the way I think about it is that like I do think genuinely. Most of the people working at the companies, particularly at Twitter historically, were, you know, aired on the side of allowing most speech. Um, but I think you also have to understand that, like, uh, uh, I would say, like, January's. Uh, well, up, I think historically, that was true. Historically, yeah, yeah. like, Histor- up to a, historically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I would agree in 2015, that was absolutely true. Yeah, histor- historically. But I, I think the Trump era, to be perfectly honest, posed a lot of novel challenges for content moderation. You know, you had, like when before had you had a president who was, you know, saying stuff that, you know, there was a concern. I think it's legitimate that, you know, it could be making more people sick and die. Right. And, um, you know, at a time particularly where there was still a lot we didn't know about COVID, I think there were, you know, it was understandable to me that um, a lot of businesses were facing pressure to act responsibly. Um, did they go too far? I mean, certainly people thought they were some people thought they were going too far. I think that there were then situations like the how Twitter handled the Hunter Biden uh, laptop story, where I think within a matter of hours or the next day, they acknowledged they had gone too far and allowed it uh, and and, and decided to change uh, change path. But I think the reason why they uh, blocked it initially was a little bit of PTSD from the previous, um, you know, Russian government uh elections you know st- stolen hack materials thing and they thought that's what it was it turned out that's not what it was and so you know i think that that, that they changed i think even jack dorsey was pretty honest saying like they made a mistake so yeah although the thing I, about content moderation is like, that you can make mistakes and, with and the you can F- look back with, and say well we changed our view i think it was with the with the cia with like 50 people from the cia saying that um oh this is a, a fake story 
I think even I would have a hard time arguing against it at the time. So that's an example of sort of government actors kind of getting involved there. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I was thinking more along the lines, you know, a good example would be the, uh, the, the, the lab leak, which I, you know, it's hard to forget, like you, you couldn't say that on Twitter, you know, and of course at the time I wasn't involved in that. I'm like, well, I don't know, but it seems like in a, in a open democratic society, you should be able to ask those questions. Well, again, I, you know, I, I think it's, it's also, it's always worth reminding Twitter can allow or disallow whatever the heck it wants to on service. It's not a government service. It's a, it's a private company. It has its own first amendment, amendment right to, to allow or disallow. Now we can argue and people do argue basically pretty much continuously about whether they should allow more, disallow more. And so I, 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 I tend to agree with you that I think there are many things with hindsight you I think many platforms look back and they say, we might've gone too far in terms of disallowing too much. Um, so uh, let's, um, let's come back to, uh, uh, let's come back to, to TikTok again, because I don't know if we really uh, close that out, but like, um, w where do you see this actually going? So you hope that it, 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 gets in control of a so you hope that it becomes controlled by a u.s company but like where where do you think this is going to end up how long do you think it's going to take and look this market the social media market moves so fast um wouldn't you be concerned i mean this is something that we think of outside of of new york uh, outside of dc a lot which is like this market moves so fast by the time government reacts where's the market going to be in two three years tiktok might not even be popular yeah, that's a good question. I, that's why I said at the front, I think this is really an unprecedented situation where you've had you have a, such a popular service that is Chinese owned. Um, I think that, you know, you know, people may not realize or may forget that this was something that President Trump tried to do. And his order essentially banning TikTok was um, yeah. I, was I didn't thrown, thrown I didn't want to trigger you, but I, I did I did want to no, say this sounds like some of the things that uh, Trump also no, said. I, <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's right. Look, I mean, like I think he he, he was he he essentially attempted to you know force TikTok to be sold to Oracle, which was a favorite kind of crony company of his, right? And you know, so I think it is. I'm not surprised any of that got thrown out of court. That's why I think the the divestiture path is the established path, um, and that and that Cifios has clear control over. And as I said, with the case of Grinder, it was done quietly, right? And so I do think all the parties would have an interest in it being done quietly, and rather than a big splashy press conference. Um, because I do think, you know, that there there's an interest in, you know, getting not not upsetting all of U.S. China China relations. Um, and, you know, I I think that I'll be honest, it's very hard for me to imagine a TikTok having um, a sustainable business in the United States in the long term and continue to be owned by the Chinese. It's just like I, I think it would be so much better. the all of the American employees of TikTok, though they have to, some of them have to spend time defending the current ownership structure and what, saying, well, no, you know, the, uh, this might they be, would be much better off. Yeah. Uh, where's their office, by the, by the way, other than, you know, I'm just interested. They have offices, I think, in California okay. and in other places. But but my point is that like they, they just 
you know, if they were sold to an American owner, they could potentially go public at some point and their stock could be worth something. And they also wouldn't have to spend all of their time answering these questions about what the Chinese have access to. They could just focus on building, you know, a great business. And so I just I think I think it would be a huge relief and frankly unleash TikTok to have more success in this country. Yeah. And maybe if there's uh you know more of a push by consumers to care about their privacy in general, uh then we uh you know wouldn't have to we'd still have to worry about it, but maybe there would be less problems in terms of, you know, foreign companies uh taking our 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 data or any companies for that matter. And using it in the Say more space. about that. Well, I think that, like, you know, for many, many years, consumers just did not care about their privacy and their data online. I didn't care about it. Um, and I, I don't know if we could ever change human nature where we just want convenience over, uh, uh, over um, uh, you know, over, uh, uh, over carefulness in terms of privacy. And maybe you have to get burned a few times uh, before, before you care about that. And so maybe... The American people have gotten burned a few times. I don't know if we felt it enough uh, where the consumers are actually going to change their, their opinion. But, you know, that it, it could change. I mean, look, there have been vast, there have been social changes way bigger than that where people just, consumers just change their behavior. Yeah, I think most people are generally fine with the trade-off they make when using apps and services, which is essentially, I'm going to provide some of my data in exchange for some value I'm getting back. Yeah, so and long as you understand used- what that data is. And, and I and truly, I think, though I don't believe people generally read the privacy policies, no. I do think people uh, at their heart understand they're making a trade off. Right. And so and and that the benefit they're getting is worth it. So I I, I really I'm not one who believes I, there's some kind of arguments. Well, consumers are just sheep and they're being kind of preyed upon. No, I think actually most mostly they know what they're getting into the, the basic heart of it. But I will say that I think like there is this separate question, which is I don't think the average consumer is spending any time thinking about what a, a government, either our government or a foreign government, might have access to. And that's what makes this situation, I think, somewhat unique. That's not a cu- question that I don't think most I don't think most consumers are really afraid of what a service knows about them. And I think most consumers are not used to thinking about or worrying about what a government might know about them because of the use of that service. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, well, we're, we're coming short on time. Uh, Adam, thank you so much for uh, coming on the show today and having this discussion. I, I, I really appreciate it. This is a, a unique discussion to the local maximum. What are some of your last thoughts on the topics that we've, we've talked about today? And uh, where can people go to uh, learn more about you and, and what, you're, what you're doing? Sure. Well, I think I mean, I love this this sort of this area of technology policy because it's kind of where, you know, the future meets the present. Right. (laughs) There's all these cool things that people are building and the present is really signified by uh, debates about law and policy and concern about, you know, whether something um, should be allowed or disallowed. And so that's kind of why I love working in this space. But um, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm an Adam Kovac, and our organization, again, is called Chamber of Progress. We're on the web at progresschamber.org. All right. Adam, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. All right. So this is a, a great opportunity for you in the audience to weigh in at the end of the episode. Let us know what you think at Local Max Radio 
at gmail.com or join our locals, uh, which has had quite a bit of extra, um, uh, a lot of extra interest recently on our locals message board at maximum.locals.com. So go to localmaxradio.com slash 264. That's our show notes page for today's episode and get all of Adam's links. Have a great week, everyone. That's the show. To support The Local Maximum, sign up for exclusive content and our online community at Maximum.Locals.com. The Local Maximum is available wherever podcasts are found. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe on your podcast app. Also, check out the website with show notes and additional materials at LocalMaxRadio.com. If you want to contact me, the host, send an email to LocalMaxRadio at gmail.com. Have a great week. Feel the power.